0: alone starting a family these things are they in your comfort zone out of your comfort zone learning a new language going to a party alone moving to to live in another country quitting the job you dislike those kind of things so it's a whole thing and then at the end it gives you the results of whether you not whether or not it kind of helps you define your comfort zone and of course those are certain issues of life comfort zone issues but there's other comfort zone things and what I want to ask to talk about today is what about the comfort zone that you've kind of put around your life and what if God asked you to do something outside your comfort zone? I really don't think God's going to ask you to bungee jump or a parachute or a paraglide or those kind of things. But what if God asked you to do something that is outside the box that you've put around him and you? I mean, one of the things you've been in Exodus at all over the last number of years, we talk about stretch beyond comfort and what if God actually asked you to do that? because um, it's easy to talk about. It's easy to dream about. Uh, let me tell you one story of a stretch beyond comfort where I, I believe, and looking back, I failed what God was asking me to do. And this was a long time ago. I was I, had, uh, I was 21, so I was a legal drinker, and I'm saying that to make a point. I was a legal drinker, although I didn't drink. I went to a church where they thought that drinking was all bad and wrong. and I'm drinking alcohol, I'm talking about, not, not, not coffee. <laughs> so I was uh, I was umpiring a baseball game with another guy that i knew his name was jd i didn't know him well and after the game was over and again keep in mind i grew up in a church where uh alcohol was like sinful and i had never even darkened the door of a bar before again not that not that we should be running into bars and having you know but i'm just saying i'd never that was like hell to me i mean i'm not exaggerating exactly i'm just like so after the game was over, and I didn't know, my guest was JD, his spiritually was, I don't know, he was probably nominal, but I, I knew him from high school sports, but I didn't know him well. After the game was over, he said, hey, Noose, that's what they used to call me in high school, hey, Noose, uh, how about pizza and uh, pizza and a beer, I'll, I'll, I'm buying. Well, as soon as he had said beer, everything inside me went up, and I'm just, and I thought, okay, this guy's never reached out to me in friendship before, but he seems like he wants to talk. But he, if he would have said pizza and Coke, I might have said yes, but he said pizza and beer, and he mentioned the name of the bar he wanted to go to. And it was way outside my comfort zone. Because I thought, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So I, I could still remember where he was standing on the baseball dime after the game, where I was standing, and I said, uh, no, I think I'll pass. Was it because I didn't want to talk to him? No. Was it because they didn't like pizza? No. It was simply because I had this comfort zone that was pretty tightly defined, religiously tightly defined, and I thought, I'm not comfortable with that. But I've thought about that over the years, and I've thought, I I wonder what the guy wanted to talk about. I think he wanted to talk about life, things. I think our family was well-known in the community as Christians, and and I look back and I think, I think I missed something there because I was stuck in a comfort zone that I defined for God, God didn't define for me. And I think what God loves to do, we're going to look at a story today, we're gonna, you look at many stories in the Bible, God's blasting our comfort zones away. And I'm not just talking about alcohol or things like that. He's always asking us to do, He's always asking people to do things that are uncomfortable. And we love it when we read about the stories of Gideon or Abraham or Esther and all these people, but when God says, okay, now you go outside your comfort zone. We tend to like, eh, not sure I want to do that. So I've been doing a series, and I just did, just like a three-week series, called Hear and Respond. It's another phrase you hear a lot at Exodus. Seems like the Bible, seems to define successful people in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of the world, or even the eyes of the church, but in the eyes of God. Successful people are those who hear the voice of God and respond. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Always, 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 the all-stars in the Bible are those who heard from God and then responded. They weren't super-duper Christians beforehand, but they got superstar status or Hall of Fame status because they were ordinary people who heard God ask them to do something that was way outside their comfort zone, and they did it. That seems to be what God has value on pretty highly. So today, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 10. A few weeks ago, we did Acts chapter 8 where Philip was asked to kind of go down to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch, which would have been outside his comfort zone. Two weeks ago, we talked about Ananias was asked to go talk to Saul. And at that time, Saul was a known persecutor of the church. Ananias tells God, God, you're crazy. I'm not going to go talk to that guy. And nobody does to Christians. But God sent him out of his comfort zone anyway. Ananias obeyed. And now we have Saul becomes Paul, the apostle Paul. All because one ordinary person, Ananias was willing to go outside of his comfort zone when God sent him. So today, Acts chapter 10, another, and it's interesting, 8, 9, and 10, all all include these comfort zone conversations God has with people. So this was about a man named Cornelius, who was, what the Bible tells us, a Roman centurion. Rome occupied Israel at the time, not desirable to the Israelites. It's kind of like when Nazi Germany occupied Poland or France. They, They weren't welcome there, but they were there with force. And this particular centurion would have overseen probably 600 soldiers. So, you know, somebody there in Israel in the town of Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel, not welcomed by the Jewish people and certainly not esteemed by the Jewish people because they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were the uncircumcised people. So just give you a little bit of that ahead of time. So let me just read it, and uh, it'll appear on the screen as I read it. So I'm going to start with... uh, Verse 1, I think that's what I have up there to start with. Yes, very good. In Caesarea, there was a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was the captain of the Italian regiment. So, again, he was a centurion, but the regiment had six centuries, 600 people. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and as was everyone in his household. Now, let me just stop on that for a second, too, just to kind of give you a context. The book of Acts talks a lot about God-fearing people who were not Jews. And it seemed as if they had God's attention. This was before, at that point, it was only the Jews that people that, that the, the message had been given to. And I'm just, as an aside here, I'm wondering how many devout, God-fearing people are in and around your life that aren't yet Christians, but they may have God's attention. And perhaps God may be sending you to them to, to have a conversation and point them more to Jesus. I'm just... It's interesting because I think there are people in our community and our neighborhoods who, who has God atten- God's attention because they're devout and God-fearing, but they may not yet be followers of Jesus. Do you follow me on that? Because it's, it's an interesting thing in the book of Acts that I don't think is unlike anything that it would be—it's going to be—there are people in Bloomington that fall in that category. So he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision— in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and let me stop here again too, vision, Do those things happen today. Do people have visions? Did he go into some kind of a marijuana-induced trance? What was going on there? Again, I think sometimes when we hear those words, we we tend to make it more dramatic than it is. It's very dramatic because it's supernatural, but I think it happens to ordinary people. A vision simply is a, a mental picture that you see. And in this case, it was obviously a very vivid mental picture. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, the screen wasn't rolling on the side of his house with angels coming at him. But he had a clear sense. He could see something. If you call it the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind, whatever, he could see something. He had a clear sense that an angel was uh, addressing him. And Cornelia stares back at the angel in terror. What is it? sir he asked the angel and the angel replied your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by god as an offering again god has his attention or he has god's attention god notices something about this individual which is probably not unlike people you live next to or work next to who may have god's attention because they're on their way to following jesus now, send some men to Joppa. Joppa is about 15 miles south on the coastline. Send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. Another thing I'll just note that I've noted before in the last few weeks, notice the detail in which this angel, or in this case, God, notice the detail in which God's talking to this person. And you might say, well, that's the Bible. It's like, no, but this is, this, is, this is not even a Christian guy. And not only is he being communicated to by God, but God communicates in detail. And you might say, well, wait a minute, we've got to be careful about saying God talk to me. And I'm saying, okay, that's true. But let's not throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. I do think God can speak to any of you in that kind of detail. I mean, he's saying, go to this town, go to this guy's house. He even tells him that Simon is Simon the Tanner. He works with leather, and Simon Peter is staying at that house. It's incredible, the detail. And again, you, it's be careful. You know, we can't be presumptuous about God saying things to us. But that doesn't discount the fact that God can and does speak to us, sometimes in very specific terms. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. All right, so they're heading on to Joppa. So that's kind of scene one of, this, of what's happening here. Cornelius has this vision. An angel says, God's noticed you. Go, fift- go 15 miles south. Go to Simon the Tanner's house. Look for a guy named Simon Peter. The house is on the seashore. Okay, so he does this. Okay, here's where the comfort zone comes in for someone else. Of course, that was outside of Cornelius' comfort zone, but we're going to focus on the next part of the story, uh, which is Peter. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. Peter, as you know, was one of the disciples. Uh, He had been a fisherman. He was the main voice voice box at Pentecost, Um, a very devout follower of Jesus, all right? And a Jew. I'll mention that because it's important to this. A very devout Jew. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. And he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. Okay, let's talk about trance. Trance may have been similar from what we understand, maybe like a vision. He, again, it wasn't like a... uh, a trance induced by hunger pains we don't know i don't know who said maybe he was sometimes you have those half asleep dreams and you're half napping and resting or you know if you're like me sometimes when you pray you start falling asleep i don't know we don't know exactly how it happened but again it's something that i believe can happen to ordinary people because i think god communicates in ways like this always consistent with scripture never violate scripture but anyway peter has something he's experiencing and he sees this happen and here's what happens He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. Now let's explain why the no happens, all right? Every Jewish person knew there were certain animals that were not in their, not to be in their diet. Not kosher. Leviticus 11, way back in the Old Testament, which Peter, being a good Jew, knew those things, and it talks about the kind of animals Jewish people were not to eat. We don't know, exactly know why. Some people wondered if God knew things about health and what they ate that we didn't know, but they were not told to eat things like you know if the animal has a split hoof but not a full hoof. I mean, it was just things like that. So reptiles were not out on the never to be on the menu. Of a Jewish restaurant, and so Leviticus 11 describes all those things, and God actually says to Moses way back hundreds of years ago. And Peter would have known this: you may not eat these animals because they're unclean, detestable, forbidden, and defiled. So Peter grew up as a good Jew, and he knew those were things that he never ate. But yet, all of a sudden, they come down in this in this picture in his mind. This blanket or whatever and all and and this voice says go and eat those things and peter's like well of course i'm not gonna do that no lord i know i'm not we're not supposed to do those things and and this is where i wonder to some degree kind of like my no of eating pizza with this one guy pizza and beer at a bar was kind of like, well no lord, of course i don't go a good christian doesn't go into bars and we have these kind of interesting conversations with God, which Peter had. And remember, remember Peter, he was the one when Jesus said he was going to die and be resurrected. And, and Peter's the one back in the gospel, oh, no, Lord, that will never happen to you. So Peter has no problem saying no to God, like most of us. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I wouldn't do that, no. But Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. So I'm devoutly religious. Come on, God, you know that. This is a test? Are you testing me? But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was pull, suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed, understandably so, because he's trying to figure out. I know the Old Testament. In that case, it was just what they knew as the known Bible. And I know I'm not supposed to eat those things. I mean, it's like detestable, defiled. But now this trance, this vision I have says, eat it. It says he was perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Again, I think it's interesting how that just coincidentally, God gets the timing just exactly right. God's good at that. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, I'm going to stop there for a second, because now we've seen that Peter's perplexed and he's puzzling. The the, the idea of both those words is he's trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense to him. Not unlike you or I might feel about things we understand God saying or not saying, all right? There's a term, I have a a chance occasionally to uh, teach in the School of Education. I have a background in education. There's a term in educational psychology called cognitive dissonance. It means when you have information in your head or presented with new information that you don't know what to do with it. You don't, you don't have what I call a file folder to put it. Like, I don't know what to do with that because I've never experienced that before. And here's what I do in my class. I'm not going to do it this morning because it takes too much time work for me to set it up. I actually light a candle in the class, literally light the candle, and as they're watching it burn, I stick it in my mouth, take a bite, and crunch it till I swallow it. And they're all like, <gasps> And they're all in cognitive dissonance. Because a person eating a candle is not something that falls in any of our files, let alone that it crunches. And they're looking at me like, you're nuts. But I have their attention, right? And I tell them, okay, what are you feeling right now? And they're like, well, I'm confused. I'm puzzling. I'm perplexed. I, I don't have a category to file away somebody who eats a candle. And it was a lit candle, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my. I'll tell you what. It's actually a raw potato soaked in lemon juice so it doesn't brown overnight. And I I cut it. I match it to a candle I have so it looks exactly like right. And the wick is actually an almond sliver because there's enough oil and an almond sliver to burn. So when I bite it, it's a toasty almond raw potato taste. <laughs> but they don't know that. I know that. They don't know that. So they're in cognitive disequilibrium. God loves doing that to us. He loves putting it, he loves showing us things about himself or asking you to do things that we don't, we don't have a category. We have no file folder for that. So it just kind of floats around there. And the nature of how God made us is we like to have things to be equilibrium. We like things in balance. So we've got to make sense of it. That's what that's what Peter's going through. He's perplexed. He's trying to make sense of something he doesn't because it's confusing to him. Like you told us not to eat those things. So I don't understand. And and Peter would have also known you some other background here too. Peter would have also known some things that Jesus said about Gentiles which were sometimes described not by Jesus but by the Jewish world in the same kind of terms of detestable and defiled and so when Jesus called the 12 disciples, one of whom was Peter, Jesus actually said to them, Don't go to the Gentiles as Samaritans. Only go to the people of Israel. Now, he wasn't being derogatory. He wasn't calling them detestable. He was simply saying, right now, go to the Jewish people. Explain to them about Jesus. Don't go to the Gentiles. But then later, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. So it's a Gentile, and they're probably like, And Jesus actually said, sooner or later, many Gentiles will come from all over the world and they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Peter had experienced this. He had watched Jesus tell them, don't go to the Gentiles. He'd also watched Jesus heal a Gentile and say, hey, many Gentiles, they'll they'll, they'll hang out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to be with them. And I'm sure at the time they're like, we don't know what he means, forget about it, let's go eat dinner so all this time and Jesus even said to them this is all from Peter's past experience it's not what goes in you that defiles you it comes what comes out of you that defiles you and the Bible says that that Jesus is making it clear to them that all foods are clean and so all these and let me get a quick aside there too people often argue debate about uh, what of the Old Testament has to be obeyed today and I'll just be kind of clear and blunt, and that kind of comes up in the whole issue of homosexuality, and I'm not going to talk a lot about that. But if something is repeated in the New Testament or not explicitly um, ended, then it does continue. Like, for example, Jesus is ending the Jewish dietary laws with that statement. It's not what goes into you that makes you define what's go out of you, thus being Jesus declared all fu- foods as being clean. So often people will say, well, that's part of the Old Testament about the whole sexuality thing. But yet it is repeated by Paul in the New Testament. So if something is repeated or affirmed in the New, it's something that God intended to be part of all time. The things that were ended, the dietary laws, because often people will say, well, if you're going to say this about sexuality, and again, this is not saying, using the words detestable or defiled, but I'm just saying sometimes... We get confused about how to interpret the new with the old. So, in general, if something's confirmed in the new, or ended in the new specifically, whether it's Jesus or Paul or anybody else, that helps us to know what should carry over. So, just a side note there. But, um, and I'm not trying to make a, any kind of political statement. It's just one of those, it's a, and it's a complicated thing when we deal with uh, homosexuality. But just as an aside there. So, so Peter is thinking at this time. Okay, Jesus said, "Don't go to the Gentiles." Jesus healed a Gentile and said, Gentiles will hang out with Abraham. Jesus told us to go into all the world, even to Samaria, which are half Gentiles. So who knows at this very moment all this stuff is perplexing and dissonating and, in Peter's mind. Like, what do, I, what do I make of all this? And then, boom, somebody comes downstairs. Three men come looking for you. Go up, go downstairs, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? All right, so Peter seemed to kind of <laughs> make sense pretty quickly. This is what God intended for me. This is what this all means. So it's almost like he has all these puzzle pieces, if I can call it that. I know what Jesus said about Gentiles, but yet he did this for Gentiles, and he said we're going to go minister to the Gentiles, And now this vision must tell me that maybe God's saying that Gentiles are no longer unclean and detestable, as our Jewish tradition has taught us. Not God. God never said they were detestable. God said uh, that the Jewish tradition had made that, but Peter's now realizing, I think God wants Gentiles as part of the blessing. So when God asks you to do something that seems out of your comfort zone, but also you you don't know how it would happen. I mean, I've told people this before, when God first, I sensed, when God first asked me to plant a church, which is now Exodus, I I am, and I was, not a salesman, not an extrovert, not a gatherer, not an entrepreneur. I was none of those things. And I remember thinking, well, God, I I think you're telling me this, but I know who I am, and I know I'm not this, 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 and this. And usually the people that do that are this, this, and this. So I don't know how this is going to happen. So when you get to that point in a conversation you have with God, it's probably a really good point to be at because sometimes God needs you to get to that point of confusion and perplexity. And if you know how the story ends, I'm not going to read it because I don't have it on the screen. And I don't want to spend time. With it, but essentially what happens is he goes to Cornelius' house. He talks to them about Jesus. They have the same experience with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that the apostles did. They become followers of Jesus. Actually, what happens next is some of the other Jews get mad at Peter. I can't believe you went to the Gentiles' house. Then Peter explains what happened, and they're like, oh, oh, now we see that God includes the Gentiles now in his promise. So this discomfort that Peter was asked to step outside of resulted in conversions, people knowing Jesus that didn't know him before. That if Peter would have been disobedient, then it may have never happened. Just like if Philip would have not have followed Jesus, Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch may have never followed Jesus. If Ananias would have never gone to Paul, we don't know if that would have ever, if he would ever followed. We don't know. So it's interesting how God uses people to affect one person that affects many others. So in essence, here's, here's the conversation that we just had that I think we all have that happens a lot in Scripture. God says, go. We say, no. No. <laughs> or, Ananias is like, you're crazy. And God says, okay, thanks for telling me. Thanks for protesting. I still want you to go. And then the response is left us, right? Think of Moses. I mean, all three of these stories from Acts 8, 9, and 10, God uses the word go many times. Now go, now go, now go. go. They protest. Ananias, (laughs) not me, Lord. Moses in the Old Testament, no, God, you got the wrong guy. Gideon, oh, I can't, I could never do this. But now, Peter, no. And God, who is always kind and merciful and patient, here's our protests. But he's generally unmoved by them. And then he says, no, but I still want you to go. Moses is like, God, I can't speak. I don't know what's I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not a leader. God says, I, okay, I get that. I want you to go anyway. Peter says, I don't do unclean things. I don't deal unclean foods or unclean people like the Gentiles. God says, I know that. I want you to go anyway. Ananias from Acts 9 says, God, I know what Saul does to people. He kills Christians. You're crazy. No, I'm not going to do that. But God says, okay, I, I get you. Thanks for protesting. I hear you. I still want you to go. And in all these cases, they go. They do. So one thing at least I, I've learned from that is it's not, it's not wrong to protest. Against, it's, not God, it's not even wrong to argue with God a little bit. You will not win. You will not win. But I, I think God, like a good parent of a protesting teenager, here's the protest. Here's the, okay, I understand. I still want you to put, take the trash out or whatever. So it's not wrong if you're feeling like, no, I can't do that, or, but Lord, you don't understand, it's not wrong if you're feeling or thinking those thoughts. Just tell them to God. Have the conversation. Sometimes I think we stop because we have that initial, like I did when it came to the J.D. wanting me to go out to pizza and beer with him. I, it was just more like, no. And I didn't even stop to think, okay, God, do you want me to do this? I think if I would have stopped and even asked in a fraction of a second, I think God would have said, Go. Go. But sometimes we don't even stop to think about that and I wonder how many times God says go and we just say no and we don't, we don't allow ourselves to be perplexed or puzzle and try to make sense we don't even give the Holy Spirit space to tell us anything I mean another situation a few years ago we had a neighbor named Chris at one time single guy had a dog named Molly that was about this big but that's really not important to the story but um, he came to our house one time to help me, and he was not a Christian. He knew I was a pastor. I think I had some, he was an electrical engineer on me. I had some question about my dishwasher. I try to, I try to fix my own appliances. I'm, I got about a 10% success rate. But So I thought I'd get an electrical engineer that had one of those gadgets, something, something, something kind of meter, and I thought, okay, you can help me out. And I, I had a time frame because I only had like an hour to get help from him. Because then I had a window of opportunity to go out and buy a Christmas present for Kathy. It was a couple weeks before Christmas. We had multiple kids at the time, and my time was precious. I knew that was my plan for the day. Fix the dishwasher, go get a present for Kathy. So we fixed the dishwasher. So I'm, you know, how you kind of socially, you're grateful and things, but you're hoping, you're hoping, please leave, please go back home now, Chris, because I need to go to the store. So he's sitting there just chatting away. And then he goes, i got a question for you. And I'm thinking, okay, I can answer this question, get on, go shopping. Why did Jesus have to die? I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> I want to go shopping, God. Can I, can I give him a quick answer? Can I tell him we'll talk about it later? And I had this conversation in probably about a half a second with God. No, 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 not now. I had a plan for today. I felt like God said, no, I, I, this is my plan for the day. So if you can go to your plan or you can go to my plan, you have a choice. And you, we do have a choice. And I protested for a couple seconds in my head with God and kind of trying to figure out when can I go to the shopping. And I think it was maybe like two or three days before Christmas. So I really had procrastinated, which was my fault anyway. And I thought, okay, I give. And engaged in the conversation. Now, did Chris become a Christian that day? No. He moved away and actually found out later we think he'd followed Christ later. So I don't know if my conversation had a part of it. Maybe it did. Whether it did or didn't is not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. But I feel like my responsibility at that time was, okay, this was not part of my plan. That was my discomfort. It wasn't like a religious scruple. It wasn't like he was asking me to go drink pizza and have pizza and beer. It was simply outside of my time frame comfort zone sometimes that's the comfort zone that God pushes you out of and that's where God says go and we're like no 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 I wanted to do this today or God may want you to do something for a neighbor go into a con- you know have a conversation with a neighbor have a do something kind in the name of Jesus for a neighbor that might cost you money and you're like well God that's like two hundred dollars what do you mean I don't know I don't know what God's calling you to do and I'm not talking about God calling you into a conversation where you feel like you have to feel this guilty pressure to share the gospel with them because God knows how to orchestrate conversations. God knows how to orchestrate you serving somebody in kindness and just doing an act of kindness toward them motivated by the Holy Spirit that will disrupt your schedule and disrupt your comfort zone. But I don't think it's a random coincidence Then in the book of Acts, at least in those three chapters, and there's other places but those three, three different individuals were called outside of their comfort zone to interact with people who were outside of their target zone. And these people all became followers of Jesus because they were willing to step outside their comfort zone, protest, complain to God, tell God you don't understand. But still, when God persisted in saying, no, go, 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 they went. Um, I'm going to ask you now, before we pray, I'm going to ask you just to think about who in your world right now, neighborhood, in Bloomington, in Bloomington if you live here, neighborhood, or somebody in, in your, if you you know live in Spencer or Martinsville or wherever, uh, neighborhood, somebody you know that is not a follower of Jesus, that that maybe you've thought about before and maybe even prayed for. I want you to just pick one person. I've got one, I've got one person in my mind. It's a neighbor. I haven't, haven't thrown a Bible on his front door or things like that, but I have thought about him and actually even said, "God, I, that, he seems really far from you." This particular neighbor is actually calls himself a pagan—not not in, in the pure religion sense—but he just never went to church his whole life. So, who might that be in your world? Just I want you to think of a person or picture a person. And what if God were to ask you to step into a situation with them where you would have to go out of your comfort zone, either in your time, your energy, or in a conversation for their well-being? Maybe it is a conversation about Jesus, not forced, not guilt-induced, but driven by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's an act of kindness that comes from the Holy Spirit, not random, we're not doing random acts of kindness, Holy Spirit-driven acts of kindness and goodness. What if God were to, would? Would you interrupt your life and schedule and restru- restructure your day for that? Would you push past your fears? Mine was with the guy with the pizza and beer guy. It was more of the fear of, oh, I don't know what would happen if I walked into a bar. Would I die? Would God strike me dead? I mean, I didn't really think that, but I must have thought something that would awful of what happened to me. So sometimes it's the fear. I mean, Ananias had a fear of going to Saul's house because Saul killed people. Peter had a fear of breaking Jewish law and, and disappointing his peers, which happened, but he talked to them and explained to them. So maybe it's fear, or maybe it's just like I was with the guy who wanted to ask about why Jesus died. Maybe it's just pure unbridled selfishness with your time. And you're not willing to kind of change that for the sake of what God wants you to do. Because you've got your life figured out. It's working. And you want your time to work your way. And that's that's one of my reasons I'll say no to God. So let me pray. And then we'll take communion here. Actually, I'll do this. um, If, look... Perhaps you right now are in one of these conversations with God, where you are either where God has you have a sense, at least a pretty good sense, that God said to you to take a step in a certain direction. Go, do something. And you are having a, either a protest conversation where you're saying, "But, but, 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 wait a minute," or you're just saying no to God. You're not like completely rebellious or resistant. You're just either afraid unsure maybe you're just unsure that's even the voice of god and just again with eyes eyes closed just for the sake of your own heart before god if that's you right now just raise your hand if you know that god's prompting okay you can put them down now and god i'm going to pray for those um who just indicated yeah i'm in one of those conversations right now and Either I need to be convinced that it is God saying this to me or I need to lay down my fears or my selfishness. So, God, I pray for those people who right now are in the midst of that. uh, That you would, as we know you do, you would resolve that in a way and give them the courage and the grace to do what you're asking to do. And God, if they need clarity, would you give them greater clarity? If they need courage, would you give them courage? If they need to die to self-image, would you help them die to self-image? And God, that's true for all of us, because all of us will sooner or later encounter those kind of conversations with you. And a matter of fact, God, we invite those conversations from you with a little bit of fear and trepidation, but we invite those. We want to have those conversations with you. We want to live outside of our comfort zone, Because we believe that it's outside of our comfort zones where we find the life that comes from you alone. That we become alive, awake, and free. Our comfort zones right now aren't doing it for us in the way that we know you've promised us. Abundant life, abundant joy, abundant peace. So God, we're going to invite you to send us out of our comfort zones. In some way. Over the next days, over the next weeks, over the next months. And when that happens, would we know it's you? And would you give us, like you gave to Philip or Ananias or Peter, clarity and courage to do what you've asked us to do? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We uh, finish every Sunday with communion at Exodus. And uh, we do it not simply because it's a r- it is a ritual. It is a habit. But anything, any ritual or habit is worthless if it has no meaning. But there's meaning here because the meaning is, we're, but what we're saying is we know we can't be those kind of people, courageous, loving, joyful, like Peter, Ananias, and Philip. We know we can't do that apart from the spirit of Jesus being in us. So it's not like we have to do it all over again. It's a reminder. It's a mysterious but symbolic reminder of Christ in us, that I need the spirit of Jesus in me to be the kind of person who, when God says go, I may protest and argue, but if God keeps saying go, I will. But I I know I need supernatural reality of Jesus in me to do that. That's why we do communion every week. So here's how we do it at Exodus. Um, We'll sing a few more songs. Jeremy will come up, lead us. As soon as we start singing, you're welcome to come on up for communion. We don't dismiss my rows. We don't check who's up or down. But anybody who would say, I want more of Jesus, I want more of his spirit in me. And if there's nothing in your life where you're knowingly resisting the spirit of Jesus, if he's already told you something or if he said certain things in the Bible to us about what we do and don't do in terms of sin or not sin, those kind of things, if there's something you're clearly doing and resisting God, then it's to your well-being not to take until you're willing to kind of stop resisting god um again we don't check on that who's up or down we don't try to but if you want to talk about it we're open to talking about it sometime but here's what we do you come on up we offer you the bread you tear off a piece we offer you the cup and how we do we just dip it in the cup we don't drink out of the cup just how we do it and then you go on back to your seat while we're singing but again it's the invitation of jesus in you um to be able to be the kind of person that can be like a peter or an ananias or a gideon or an abraham so let's pray Jesus, we're grateful that you gave your body and that you gave yourself over to torture and death. And the Bible says, because you were obedient to your father and then you were raised from the dead. And because of that, we know there's power available to us that comes from you. The power of death and resurrection. That we now have your, can have more and more of your spirit inside of us. So we can be more and more the kind of people that you designed us to be full of the life and power that comes from God. and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen
1: in Christ alone my hope is. Found. My light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest shroud and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my one and all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, the fullness of I'm not the only i Song, this cornerstone, this solid ground firm through the fiercest strand and stone what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving steals
0: sung, would we stand in your love? And by saying that, we also are asking if we could experience your love this week in some way. That we would know that you love us and that shame and guilt are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And so would would we walk in your love? Would everything we do be motivated by love? Not by guilt, not by pressure by shame, but would we be motivated, as was Peter, by the love of Jesus in his life that you asked him to pour into others, and so on, the same for us. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance to you. supernatural, life-giving peace. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Help us out with the chairs. As we stack them up back there. If anybody's interested in baptism next week, make sure you talk to me.